You guys can open up your Bibles. Um, we are in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, starting in verse 4. We're going to read down to verse 21. So Luke 8, verse 4 through 21. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Definitely engage the text in this church, and so I would love for you to have a Bible in front of you. All right, I'll read it, pray, and uh, we'll dive into what we have for the morning. It says this, When a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil, grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When his disciples asked him what this meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables. So that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart. And bear fruit with patience. Verse 16. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Let's pray. God, I think it's fitting to sit in a moment of silence before we attempt to get into your word today. 
Because the call comes in this text to take care then how we hear. It's often not until we try to be quiet that we realize how noisy we are inside. How little we hear. How unprepared we are to listen to the Almighty as He would speak. So God, I I ask today, you'd cut through the noise. I ask today that you would wage the good warfare, not against people, not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of darkness that rage even in this room. And having their sights Stealing the seed that's going forth even now. So that nobody here benefits. Hears it truly. Takes it in. God, we pray that you would come and wage the good warfare against that, Lord. You'd open eyes. You'd open ears. You'd open hearts. That there'd be rich, soft, ready soil to receive your gospel, your instruction, your word. I ask for your help and your strength and your guidance in, in this time we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, okay, there are, maybe you're aware of some of these, there are um, plenty of texts in the Bible that can make a preacher of God's word tremble. I'll give you a few of them. James 3.1 Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Greater strictness for the teacher of God's word. That's enough to make me Tremble. Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. The guys who are shepherding you in the gospel, leading you, feeding you as the sheep of God's pasture. They're going to have to give an account to God for that. (laughs) I'm going to have to give an account to God for this. That's a big deal. When um, my previous pastor, back when I was in Slow, San Luis Obispo, that doesn't make sense to you guys. Um, When he approached me on on, on, uh, about the idea of coming on staff. And, and starting a college ministry and preaching on a you know, weekly basis and that sort of thing. Initially, you want to know my answer? No. I prayed about it. I sought the, the, the word of God and the scriptures. The answer is no. You want to know why? 1 Timothy 3, 6. 
Paul talking to Timothy about elders and those who teach the word of God. And he says, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. I said, Brian, I'm going to go that way. I'm going to love preaching just a little too much and a little bit of the attention that comes with it. And then before you know it, the heart becomes the devil's playground. Now, he talked me out of that. He talked me off the ledge or maybe onto the ledge, I guess is the right way to put it. But there are texts like this in the scriptures that just make a preacher of God's word, a teacher of God's word, tremble. At least it should. Perhaps too many don't. Preaching the Word of God is a dangerous business. I think we get that. But now, here's where I'm going. Um, This is not what this text is about. The text is not about my side of the equation, so to speak. Sorry, I have illustrations for later that were tucked in. It's not about my side of the equation. It's not about me and the teaching of God's word here. Primarily, this text, and in particular, the parable of the, the, uh, the sower and the seed and the soils, talking about you guys. Obviously, I'm included in this, but talking about those who hear the word. The dangerous business it is, not just to speak the word of God, but to actually sit and hear it. You might not realize, but that is risky. That is dangerous. That is a trembling affair. That's why Jesus comes down with that warning in verse 18. I I focused on it a little bit before. I'll read it to you again. Take care then how you hear. That's where he's going in this. You know, some people... Talk about this parable as the parable of the sower or the parable of the sower and the seed. But rarely is it referred to as the parable of the soils. Though every commentary I was reading was saying that should be the title. Because that's where the main point is at. (laughs) What's going on with the soil? What's going on with the listener, with the hearer? Are we taking care then how we hear? That's the point of text that we're in here this morning. We're going to make our way down to verse 21 today, though the majority of our time is going to still be kind of spent with that that same parable we've been looking at now for three weeks. Um, But nonetheless, here's how we're going to divide this up. You see it on your handout there. First, we're going to look at the four soils. That's verses 4 through 15. Second, the blessing and the curse. That's verses 16 to 18. And then third, and these last two are just going to be so quick, the, uh, the fruitful family there in verses 19 to 21. Hopefully you'll see why I, I uh, linked all of these uh, verses together in this one message by the time we're done. So first, the four soils, verses 4 through 15. Um, as we discussed a few weeks ago, uh, you know, when we looked at that, that crazy command there at the end of verse 8, where Jesus says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What we had discovered, if you recall, was, okay, wait, everyone's hearing. So he's talking about a hearing underneath the hearing. <laughs> the hearing that's not just with the ears of the head, but with the ears of the 
heart. And what we come to gather is that these four soils here, Jesus is describing in this parable, represent four different kinds of hearts. Or in other words, four different ways of hearing, or not, and responding to, or not, the word of God. So I want to look at these four soils with you quickly. First, we see the hard heart, the hard heart. This is the person Jesus is describing in verse 12. He says this, the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. There it is. They're hearing with their ears, but it's not getting in. So that they may not believe and be saved. Suppose this is where I was going with my prayer against the powers of darkness, the prince of the air, the god of this world, the war that's waging in this room right now. Because Jesus says it is. Uh, It seems to me that in modern um, intellectual, erudite, uh, secular Silicon Valley, we're prone to downplay the spiritual, the supernatural, uh, the demonic, the satanic. Um, Everything in our modern world requires, you know, and has, as far as we're concerned, a rational explanation. Since the Enlightenment, man can wrap his brain around everything. And if he can't, it doesn't exist as far as he's concerned. So it all has a rational explanation here. Anti-supernatural bent. And this can find its way, especially in an area like Silicon Valley, into the church where we become kind of bashful about talking about the devil. Because we know everyone's picturing in their head a little guy in tights, and we feel kind of silly like we're these kids that believe in Santa. Are there kids in here? <laughs> you know, like we believe in a fairy tale. But as I'm reading the gospel, as I'm reading this text, it occurs to me that Jesus doesn't blush. He doesn't stutter when he's talking about the reality of the devil and what he knows the devil is doing as the word is going forth. As he's talking about the gospel of the kingdom, he knows the devil is right there. And hearts that are hard, man, he's going to steal that seed in a moment. It's gone before it even barely touched the ground. He knows that there is a war waging in this room right now, and it all centers on the word of God. Satan's objective, keep you from truly hearing and believing. Why? He says it there, so that they may not believe and be saved. Salvation happens in the moments when we hear and believe the word. So when the word goes forth, the devil is there. He doesn't want you to be saved. He doesn't want you to be strengthened in grace. He doesn't want you growing in the Lord. He wants you stunted, wilting, dead. He'll do whatever he has to do. Distract you with thoughts of what you have to do for work this week. Maybe. 
maybe buzz you with notifications on your phone. Another email came in. Another person liked your Facebook post. Woo-hoo. I don't have any time for this you know, guy up here talking. I want to see what's going on here. Maybe tempts you to lust at the lady sitting in front of you or Maybe close your eyes with sleep after another long night. Maybe glaze your eyes over with boredom because there's nothing really flashy. Where's the, where's the smoke machine? Where's the, you know, where's the guy with the, you know, I don't have a show for you. We're just looking at words. Boring, you know. You're gonna do, he's gonna do what he has to do to get that seed. So I wonder if you're aware that this is happening in this room right now. I mean, for goodness sake, you want to know what happened as I was writing this in my manuscript? You know what happened? My computer just blacked out. I was like, I'm on to something. This is awesome. I, I, I reboot it back up. I have to rewrite it and do my best. But it's like, no way. The devil just tried to steal the seed as I'm talking about. I'm trying to steal the seed. We're on to you. It's amazing. Kid you not, right there in my right there in my preparation. It's like it's so predictable. But it's happening right now. There is an enemy of your soul, Luke ten, nineteen. There is a lion seeking someone to devour, first Peter five, eight. There is a dragon making war on the children of God, Revelation twelve, seventeen. I've been doing my devotions through the book of Revelation. I don't recommend it. I mean, I'm seeing dragons and beasts everywhere, but it does open up my my eyes to this dimension. It says there that, man, Satan has gone off to make war on the offspring of the woman, on the children of God. That's what he's doing right now. So why don't people believe and be saved? Well, Paul tells us, 2 Corinthians 4, for Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So underneath unbelief, underneath the rejection of the seed, underneath even the hard heart, you could say, is Satan's activity and the work of the devil. Blinding our eyes. And what's so tragic, and maybe some of you are here in this place, when we reject Jesus, we think we do it from good reason. Ah, you know, Christians, they're the fools. I've got the enlightened reason. We think we do it from freedom. You know, <laughs> they're just, you know, enslaved to tradition. Well, what this text is saying, you're not, you're not wise, you're not rational, you're blind. You're not free like Paul would tell us in some place in Timothy, I can't remember. You're held captive by the devil to do his will. Enslaved. We don't want to be the hard soil. Second, we see the shallow hearts. We see the hard heart now. The shallow heart is revealed to us there. This is the person Jesus is describing in verse 13. Again, remember, we're in all of this trying to think about how we're hearing and listening to the word of God. Jesus says this, verse 13, the ones on the rock um, are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. 
But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. The image is like a little bit of soil over a bedrock, maybe that deep, you know. So it looks like the, 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 the seed is going in, but it can't penetrate. It's shallow. The faith, the reception of the seed, of the gospel, shallow, superficial. This is a shallow heart. Have you known anyone like this? Where this is their story. I mean, I have friends from college. Uh, again, San Luis Obispo was a pretty neat place to be because God was doing a work there. And we had a weekly college ministry, not the one that I led, but just with uh, Campus Crusade, that where there would be over a thousand kids would show up. So it became a cool thing to go to church and do this sort of thing. And so there on that campus, when, and now with some of my friends, what I see is, man, well, while it was in, while it was cool, while the moment was right or whatever, you know, we're in on this. But then when things get hard, nah, I don't think so. You know, do you know people like that where at first it, it shoots up with joy? The moment's right. The music's right. It feels nice being in an accepting community. Maybe the, the all the other kids in the youth group or at the youth camp are doing it. Or maybe that girl or boy you like is, is following Jesus, so maybe I want to too, you know. But then there's no root. In the time of testing, they fall away. When the moment's not right, when the music's off key, when uh, you really plug into the community and you realize that they're sinners just like you and they hurt you sometimes, not as accepting as I thought, <laughs> I'm out of here. Or when you come down from the youth camp, you know, down from the mountaintop, so to speak, and you have to face real life. Or when that girl or boy dumps you and you no longer have to go to church because of them. Is the thing that began with joy and yeah, I love this. Does it withstand? Or does it prove that man, you weren't in it in the first place for Christ? Because it just kind of withers up. There's no root and fall away. This is one of the reasons why uh, Jesus isn't concerned with numbers. When we talk about evangelism I don't know if you've been a part of these sorts of ministries and it's okay to some degree um, you see the early church say man this is how many people were added to the Lord this day so I don't want to say that num- numbers are keeping track these are souls we care about them but have you ever been a part of these evangelistic things where there seems to be this massive emphasis on how many decisions for the Lord how many people raise their hand how many people said the prayer? We got to get that going. And so what ends up happening is, is our focus on numbers starts to cause us to kind of soften the message a bit. Because we want the results. We, we, we want to be able to say, look, look at how many people we led to Jesus. So we, we kind of truncate things and go with the good stuff and we'll get to that other stuff later. Like repentance and Judgment and the depths of sin and all of that. But Jesus never does this. This was what can be so irritating even about him as we follow him through uh, this gospel. It's amazing. There are times where you will watch him interact with someone and you go, man, you just blew it. 
Jesus, I mean, you need to take an evangelism 101 course. Look at that. You had, you, you, the sale was there and you didn't make it. The deal was there. You didn't close it. You blew it. But what we come to realize is that Jesus isn't selling anything. He isn't closing a deal. He's offering salvation, entrance into his kingdom. And he wants to make sure that we know what we're getting into because it's going to get tough. It's going to get real. The sun is going to come out. And if there's not roots, you're not going to make it in the desert. Trials that come for the children of God on the way to the promised land. We might think of those scenes that Luke strings together for us. Uh, We're going to be in Luke 9 pretty quickly, but I'll read this to you. It's in Luke 9, verses 57 to 62. But there's just, there's, there's person after person of failed evangelistic, you know, attempt like Jesus. No, you're making this too hard. But Luke is making a point. Jesus is making a point. We ought to follow him in this. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, well, great. I'm looking for just like people like you. No, he didn't say that. He says, foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. It's going to be hard. You sure? To another, he said, follow me. But this guy says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. So the guy seems ready, but he just has one thing he needs to do. Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. In other words, you better get on this ship before it sails. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. He said, Jesus, you're bowing it. You're making it so hard. (laughs) These people have hearts that want to follow. Why are you trying to discourage them? Not trying to discourage them. He's just trying to make sure they know. I'm not a celebrity that's going to entertain you. I'm not a genie that's here to grant your wishes. I'm the Christ. And what we see in Luke 9.51, right before this, I've got my face set towards Jerusalem. In other words, I'm going to the cross. Are you going to follow me there? How much does forgiveness of sin, how much does my salvation, how much does entrance into my kingdom mean to you? Will you count the cost? Will you take up your cross and follow me there? My face is set towards Jerusalem. The shadow of the cross is already upon me. Are you sure you want to follow me? It's going to get real. So he loves these people enough, us enough, to not be so concerned with the immediate results. Shoot them up with joy. 
<laughs> give them a nice little message that makes them smile and thinks it's great and then realize later, wow, we just got sucker punched. There's suffering involved in following Jesus. No. Listen, he just looks at him and just says, you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. If you follow me, it's going to be hard. But you will find your life. I promise you that. So where are you? We've got to turn it around here. My that soil, where are we? Why are we following behind him if in fact we are? Is our face set towards Jerusalem with him? Is the cross on our back? Not because we're going to atone for our sin, but because he's worth more than life to us. His atonement is everything. The divided heart. So we have the, we have first the hard heart, then the uh, shallow heart. Now third, the divided heart. This is the person Jesus is describing in verse 14. He says this, as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. When if you see it there, the cares and worries of life and the riches and pleasures of life are paired together. And they're always paired together. Cares and worries, riches and pleasures. This is how it works. I'll show you this here in 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10. Paul writes this. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The idea is this. When you don't have money or you don't have riches or you don't have the things of the world, then you're worried and anxious and trying desperately to get it. I want their approval. I want, the, I want their possessions. I want whatever it is. I want to get it. Get it. And then when you do have it, you're anxious and worried that you're going to lose it. And so you have to try to keep it. And you're always scrambling and you can never rest. And even when you get that job or you get that salary or you get that house or whatever it is, then you're worried about losing it and you have to keep it, maintain it. You can't sleep any better. It's a false gospel and it chokes out the true gospel. Jesus, that's not Jesus's message. His message is, man, it is finished. What I did for you on the cross, it is finished. Your sins washed. You have, you realize you have the purse, if you will, of your father. You have all that the father has at your disposal. That's your inheritance. And he has pledged himself to you in Jesus. You are, you, you can rest. That's the gospel. Instead, we're pierced with all these things, worries and cares, because it's not quite enough. Or that's, we're not sure we're going to get what we want with that. It's nice having you as a dad, but come on. I want this, or who's going to guarantee I'm going to get that job, or I'm going to have this by that time. 
So our hearts are divided. Jesus is not Lord of this heart. This is the kind of of, of person who wants Jesus, yes, but wants the world too. And so there are aspects of your life you're not willing to put under the Lordship of Christ. Oh, I know what he says about sexual ethics. What I should and shouldn't do with my, you know, girlfriend or with, you know, on the internet or whatever. I don't care. Oh, I know what I should be doing with my finances or the kind of integrity that is called for at my work or whatever it is. But I don't care. That's not your realm, God, Jesus. Yours is Sunday. I'll listen to him talk. The rest is mine. That's the divided heart. You're going to pierce yourself with grief because you can't enjoy either side very well. You can't enjoy God. You can't enjoy the world (laughs) because you're kind of convicted over here. (laughs) And then over here, or I'm sorry, I should say you're convicted over here. You can't enjoy God very well. You know you're not following him fully. And then you're, you're kind of conflicted over here because you know you shouldn't enter in to the things you are. So you're just divided. It's a miserable place to be. Take everything in your life, as hard as it may be, and maybe even take the time afterwards when we just sing songs and think and pray. Just say, God, it's yours. Jesus, it's yours. I want, I want lordship, your lordship over all of it. You will find that you will not just spring up with joy at that point. You'll have roots. You'll have a unity of affection for God that will last. That leads us to the good heart, the fourth soil here. This is verse 15 um, there in Luke 8 where Jesus says this, As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Now there's a lot you can talk about here, but as I pondered this, um, here was something I thought was really intriguing. Um, I hadn't really noticed before. When you think about the disciples uh, in the Gospels as they're following Jesus, is it not true that you can find evidence in them of all those little bits of all those kind of bad soils? Am I wrong? In terms of when you think of the, the hard heart. I mean, is that not what's going on with, with Peter when Jesus rebukes him? And says, get behind me, Satan. In other words, I just preached the gospel to you. I said, I'm going to Jerusalem to suffer. And you said, no way. Satan just swooped down on that seed and took it. Get behind me, Satan. You're not speaking uh, God's words anymore to me, Peter. There's something hard there. Or do we not see the shallowness, uh, the shallow heart sometimes with these guys where uh, you might think about how they, they, they initially are full of joy and, man, we found the king. And, and they have this idea that he's going to take down Rome or whatever. And he's going to make them great, set up his throne on the earth. And they're stoked about it. And then every single one of them, when the shadow of the cross is finally fully upon the Savior in Gethsemane, they all just leave. They all just abandon him. In other words, the roots weren't all that deep. And when the sun came out, they were gone. Little bits of that in their heart. Or when you think about the divided heart, you remember James and John and the request that their mother made, right? 
Like, hey, come on. Let's let James and John rule, you know, sit on your right and your left hand. They, we, we want prestige. We want power. We want, we want worldly accolades. We want that sort of thing. Jesus goes, you have no idea what you're asking for. You have no idea what you're asking for. So there is a little bit of hardness. There is a little bit of shallowness. There is a little bit of division. But, and this is what was so encouraging to me. But, the thing that sets the disciples apart is that they continued to listen. They continued to follow. They repented when they got it wrong. And they turned to him and trusted him again. Like we're not going to see the full picture right away. There is going to be bits. Did any of you relate to the hard or the, the, the shallow or the divided s- the soil? And go, oh shoot, what is he saying? I'm not bearing any fruit. No, but that stuff is in us. But what makes the difference is that we start to see that and we come and we give Jesus the last word. So these disciples, man, they, that's, they're just as messy as us. But they're going to follow him. And they're going to let him reorient and, and correct, edit their interpretations. They know they need help, and Jesus is happy to help. And so they bear fruit with patience in time. Just hold on. And I would encourage you to do the same, myself to do the same. Now, the um, second part, now these, like I said, these last two are going to be real fast. Um, but we looked at the, the four soils. Now I want to look at the blessing and the curse in verses 16 to 18. In verses 16 to 18, I can't go into much detail, but Jesus essentially shifts metaphors for us. He, he, he moves from seed and hearing to light and seeing. But the essence of the matter is really still the same. Here it is. Revelation is coming to us from God. What are we going to do with it? That's the essential question that Jesus is after. Revelation is coming. You're hearing the word. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to reject the seed? Are you going to cover the light? Put it under a jar or under the bed? Or are you going to embrace this? Are you going to walk in it? You're going to hear it, listen to it, hold to it, bear fruit. Really, the essence of all of this is summarized there in verse 18. I'll read it for you. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. See how this connects to the soils? What are we doing with the word? What is going on? Are we taking it in and bearing more? Because you'll actually receive more revelation, more understanding. Are you, are you rejecting it, uh, not letting it in, not wanting, putting it under a bush, whatever you want to say? Then things will just increasingly grow dark for you. It's interesting. On the one hand, there is an understanding of God and His Word that comes on the far side of obedience. I wonder if you know what I mean by that. A lot of times we think, okay, Jesus, you convince me. Let me understand everything, and then I'll follow. Then I'll listen. Then I'll do it. It Don't work that way. Instead, what this is saying is, listen, what little you have, 
what little revelation he gives to you. You just set your sights, set your heart on obeying that, following that, trusting that. And what you'll find is you'll learn more. You'll get even greater insight. This is exactly what happened with the disciples. They had no idea who this Jesus was that they were following at the very beginning. No idea. All sorts of misconceptions. But they knew he was worthy of following. And so as they were just obedient to that little bit of light, more and more light opened up. So they just follow him. That's where we're at. And as we do that, we'll find that there is, there is understanding, there is revelation that comes to us on the far side of obedience. But again, the other side is true as well. As you hear and you never get around to doing or it just kind of goes in one ear and out the other, you grow dull. Your hearts grow hard. And eventually you hear nothing at all. So there's a blessing and a curse held out here. Blessed are those who hear, take it in, think it about it, take care then how they hear, respond, bear fruit, because they will be given more. But cursed are those who just kind of, you know, tinker around with the word of God. Think, oh, there's a nice little Bible study. Now let's get on with it. And don't take it seriously. We're just kind of here and don't obey. Don't hold it and treasure it. Because what little they have will be taken. Here's the reality. Sometimes you hear people talk about this like, hey, I'm going to live it up now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I think there might be something to Jesus. I think there might be something to Christianity. I was raised a Christian. I kind of know that. I've seen how it plays out. I, th- I think there's something to it. But you know what? I want to live it up for a little while. And I'll get to repentance and receiving Jesus later before I die. Just put that get into heaven free you know, card. Get out of hell free card in my pocket. And I'll whip that out when I need it. This text is saying, you better watch out. If that's your heart, if that's the game you're playing, there's no game. Because what happens is, what you will find is, you wait for later. But when later comes, your heart may have gotten so hard, your ears so dull, your eyes so dim, that there's no longer any room for repentance. You can't even bring yourself to care about eternity anymore because you took the word, took the word, and you just spit on it. There's nothing there anymore. So we don't play games with this. That's why, that's why the author of Hebrews would, would write with such conviction, today, 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 if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Like, take care of this today, you know? Because it might not, you might not hear his voice the same way tomorrow. Do you understand that? Like if today you say, I'll deal with it tomorrow, tomorrow you won't hear it as clear. It must be a distant echo. And a week from now, you won't even remember what God was saying in this moment to you. Today is it. The word of God in this room right now is initiating a crisis for everyone who's hearing. Do you realize that? On the one hand, 
those who are hearing and, 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 and taking it, it's making them increasingly beautiful, uh, developing them more in the image of God and the image of Christ. On the other hand, it's making this group who's just hearing and going, eh, increasingly, you could say, beastly. There's something that just kind of hardens. All right, man, can we get on with this? You've been talking for a while. I want to go get some lunch here. Your time is up. Watch out. Finally, the fruitful family, and this is just simply a sentence I wanted to bring out. We take care then how we hear because this is what Jesus has to say about his family. There in verse uh, 21, everyone's talking about your, your mother and your brothers and this or that. He says this, my mother and my brothers are those who what? Hear the word of God and do it. In other words, they're the ones who, who, who see the light and embrace it and, and shine, let it shine. They're the ones who receive the word in their heart like soil and they bear fruit. They're the ones who give evidence of being born again into the family of God, changed by me. So more than even earthly family, Jesus says, that's my family. Those who are hearing, not just hearing, but taking care then how they hear and doing. I want to be that. I want you to be that. Now, I have a few things of application, a few points of application that I wanted to bring out here as we close. If we are to take care then how we hear, what does this taking care actually look like? What does it actually look like? Some of these I'll have to, to simplify and then go quicker. But first, I got, I got five suggestions. First, it means get in the word. It, it simply means first, get in the word. If, if, if we are not hearing the word or opening our Bibles, we can't even begin to take care then how we hear because we're not hearing anything. You see. So a lot of Christians like the idea of, of fruit, of bearing fruit. That sounds nice. I like peace. I like patience. I like joy. I like love. I like bearing fruit. I like being free from worry and anxiety. I want that in my life. But a lot of times, we expect it to come so easy. We, it's, it's like we, ex, we, we, we walk up to a soil, or to, yeah, to soil expecting fruit uh, when we've sown no seed. Nobody does that. And yet in the Christian life, sometimes that happens. And so what we need to do is, man, you open this up, it's like tearing open a a, a package of seeds, right? Like, God, here's my heart. Sow something in me this morning. Sow something in me today. It's the only way that fruit is going to come. It's getting in the Word and fighting for faith. So first, get in the word is how we can take care of then how we hear. But second, pray for help, right? If you remember the first message that I preached on this text, it was essentially that. We don't have ears in and of ourselves to hear. We need help. So getting in this, man, Satan's just going to have a field day. Unless I get on my face and say, open my eyes. Help me understand, God. Speak to me here. 
That's why I love that text in Psalm 119, 18. I think of it often. I open my time in God's word with it often. It says this, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. In other words, if you don't open my eyes, I won't see wondrous things. And so here's the call, brothers and sisters, taking care then how we hear means we, we resolve not to leave our Bibles with our hearts unmoved. We say, God, listen, I'm not just going to go ho-hum through this. I'm not just going to be apathetic. Okay, I did my 30-minute little thing. We're going to say, God, show us yourself. We're talking to the living God in these moments. These are your words to me. I should be riveted. Help me. See that? I don't want to be apathetic. I don't want to leave. It's like, okay, that was great. Let the devil just snatch it right away. So we go on to our day. Third suggestion, prioritize Sundays. This might be controversial for some. People are like, oh, he just wants to get people into his church. Uh, well, not exactly. Silicon Valley is a tough place to do church, you guys. I get a sense. Uh, one of the things that's hard is it seems like there is a little bit of a casual approach to the Sunday gatherings for whatever reason. Might be because you guys, a lot of people work 70, 80 hours a week. They're exhausted. A lot of times, man, you know, people live all over the city. It's congested. I don't like traveling. I'm tired of getting in my car. I want to sleep in, whatever it is. I don't get time with my family. It's my only day. Whatever it is, people struggle, it seems to me, to prioritize coming in and saying, man, Sunday is critical. I've been trying through the course of this message here to say, man, we need to take this moment very seriously. There is no such thing as just another Sunday as far as I'm concerned. I want you to realize that. And I don't say this just because it's my job. In fact, I would say it's my job because I believe this. Meaning, I give my life to preaching God's word, especially on Sundays, because I believe that this is critical for the child of God. We need to put ourselves together under his word, in community, like this. I think that's part of what Jesus means in Matthew 18.20 when he says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Now, is Jesus with you there in your devotions in the morning privately? Yes. But there's this special thing that he's doing when we gather together, when two or three are here in his name, seeking him. I could read you more texts, but I won't. Fourth suggestion. Let it linger. Let it linger. Here's what I mean by this. Don't rush out of here. Don't rush out of this room this morning without truly doing business with God. I've said this before, but this text in particular, parable of the sower, the seed, the soils, is one of the reasons why we wanted to, to move uh, more longer periods of worship, more songs of worship and time for prayer, singing to the end of the service, after the sermon. Because we want you to take care how you hear. 
We want, I mean, I'm aware that, that seed is being, I hope seed is being scattered in these moments. And the last thing I want is, is God to be pressing in on you with something. Then the lights come on, you put on your smile and you head out to lunch and forget about it. I want you to get on your face and do business with him. And if nothing struck you, go, why didn't anything strike me, God? Get on your face and say, help me with that. Does that make sense? I want to do business with you. Jesus, that's why we're here. I want to help you take care then how you hear. I don't want the devil to snatch this seed. I want it to take root in your hearts here in this place so it might bear fruit in your life throughout the week. So we make space for praying and singing, for repenting and believing, for grieving and rejoicing. Immediately following the word going forth and the crisis that you're now in. What am I going to do with it? Do I care or not? That's big. That's big. Finally, and fifthly here, consider the evening service. No, we are not starting an evening service at Mercy Hill. But here's what I mean. You're going to go home. You're going to go home today. You're going to sit around your table tonight, probably somewhere. If not, at your home, out somewhere. And I want you to think of it almost as an evening service. In other words, what you're hearing in this room and taking care of that, of how you hear it, doesn't end the moment you leave this room. We'll be thinking about it, praying, seeking God on that. I want there to be an evening service going on as you, you know, eat dinner with your roommates or, or, or with your spouse or with your kids. That's one of the reasons why I create this. I spend an extra hour on Saturday nights doing this, not so it could just be tossed. But so that you could see the main points from today, go, do I believe that? And then maybe use some of these reflection questions to talk it out with people and help one another hear. Did you hear? Is it really in? What would it look like for you to walk this out, to bear fruit? What would it mean if this were in my heart? Do that around the table with one another. Take care then how you hear. As I guarantee the devil is taking care how he snatches what you hear. And the world is ready with all of its cares and all of its false promises to distract you away. Last thing, and I'll leave you with this. If you are a parent, we're shifting. Uh, your kids are in the back with our, with our uh, teachers and things. We are shifting curriculum right now as we speak to the Gospel Project. It's amazing. It's amazing stuff. And one of the things I'm starting to do with my kids Sunday night around the table. Your kids are getting uh, one of these little activity pages, one of these big picture cards. They have the main point from what they're learning back there in their study. These little hearts, these little kids, these souls that God has entrusted to you. They're getting, they're getting these, uh, we, we get these cards and it has the main point from their study. It has discussion questions for the family. It has potential uh, activities that you can do to help apply it. Don't, don't just toss that in the recycle bin or save it's a nice picture and put it aside. You got kids, dive into it with them, man. Okay, what did you think? Spend some time reading the text that they looked at. Talk with them about it. I've been doing it all week with them. It's been wonderful. Put it in a binder so that they can remember. And you can too. Lead your family in an evening service. Lead your friends 
in an evening service. Consider that, I pray. Let's let's pray. God, right now, uh, I hope I didn't overload. I ask, God, that whatever it is that you're speaking and doing in this room with this group of people that I love so much, God, that you would zero in on that with them. That the word that you spoke today would not be taken, would not be lost, but it would bear fruit. God, we love you. We need you to help us here. Help us respond. Help us bear fruit. In Jesus' name. Amen.